Uh, but we come right now to an overview of the historical books. Is anybody here incredibly studious and have all the handouts with you so far? Great, we've got some one back there. You got the binder. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and your job was largely keeping records. Um, so here we are. All right. So back at the very beginning, this Old Testament introduction page, there was a a chart that laid out the books of the Bible, not in chronological order, but in uh, the law, prophets, writings order of the Jewish tradition. And so what we would be doing then is moving now into, according to this um, paradigm, we'd be moving into the former prophets. So these are Joshua, Judges, uh, Kings, uh, Samuel and Kings. Those are the former prophets. And they're referred to as the prophets uh, by the latter prophets. Uh, and I am blanking on who it is exactly. I think it's Zechariah refers back to them as the former prophets. And so uh, by, by our canonical order, which you find in your table of contents in your Bible, uh, we're moving into what are called not specifically the former prophets, although uh, they are a part of this. We're moving into the historical books. Uh, so after the Pentateuch, we have Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And then after that, we'll move into the uh, wisdom literature and the uh, poetry, which is, um, begins there with, with Job, moves into Psalms, and so forth. But today, we turn our attention to the historical books. And I think it's helpful for us to get an idea today before we jump into specific books of uh, what history the historical books cover. And this is a large uh, thousand-year period. This is a thousand years of history. So far, what we've looked at in the Pentateuch has been about 700 years of history. And now we're looking at a thousand years of history. You can see the timeline there at the top. This is a... um, a reprint from an earlier handout. So um, you see the the patriarchs and the Israelites in Egypt up to the Exodus. That's where the Pentateuch ends with Deuteronomy. And then we pick up now with the conquest where Joshua uh, comes in. So you see the the books there um, underneath the timeline. And those are where the books correlate with the specific um, events, historical events on that timeline. So the conquest, as that's the conquest of the promised land, as Israel goes into the promised land to take it. Joshua talks about that, the fulfillment of the promise of the land. You see that in Joshua. And then you see in Judges, is Israel faithful or unfaithful? Once again, Judges is an incredible repetition of their Israel's unfaithfulness. And they again turned their back on the Lord, and they did what was right in their own eyes. Um, so Judges is filled with Israel's unfaithfulness. Ruth happens during that, that period of the Judges. And then there's the kingdom period. Kingdom period starts with King Saul, and Israel says, we want a king like the other nations. We want to be like everybody else. And God gives them what they want. They get a tall, handsome king who is no good. And then God gives them a man after his own heart who also um, fails quite significantly, uh, King David and then his son Solomon. And then that's the end of the United Kingdom, um, the United Monarchy. When I say United Kingdom, I kind of think of England. That's not what I'm implying. Um, (laughs) um, 
the uh, this is totally uh, derailing us right now. But um, apparently, King Charles said um, that he is here not to be served, but to serve. Yesterday during his coronation, which is a fascinating claim on um, Jesus's language, right? Uh, so I, I don't know what to do with that. Um, it's just an interesting statement that I read somewhere in the news yesterday. Um, but at least he did not complete the statement. Um, the Son of Man came to, uh, to not to be served, but to serve and give himself as a ransom for many. At least King Charles didn't claim to give himself as a ransom for many. But uh, the king here in, um, in Israel, we had um, Saul, David, and Solomon. And then after Solomon, his sons led the divided kingdom. The kingdom split around 931, I believe. And then uh, for the remainder of the kingdom period, it was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. Northern kingdom called Israel, southern kingdom called Judah. And that continued until uh, the, the north was exiled by Assyria in 722, and then the southern kingdom was exiled by Babylon in 586, although the deportations began earlier, around 600. Uh, for um, a short period of time, about 50 years, 40 to 50 years, the, uh, there was a full exile, uh, meaning there was really no... Jewish presence in the land that was was notable. There's also no biblical uh, texts written during the exile. So um, the the time that Israel was gone uh, is a is a dark period. Um, but there were um, Ezra and Nehemiah, um, or maybe I should say there were no historical books written during the exile. That's probably more precise, um, because da- Daniel is written about exilic. Things. So let's just say historically, there, there, there are no historical books written during the exile. But then Ezra and Nehemiah is written uh, during the return, which is typically taken as one book. It was almost always one book, Ezra and Nehemiah, and then uh, was, uh, I don't remember when it was divided into two. Um, but it's pretty well understood that uh, it was written by, by the same Ezra uh, throughout. And then he, when it starts telling the story of Nehemiah, it's just Ezra telling the story of when Nehemiah became governor. Uh, so there's there's Ezra and Nehemiah, and then uh, Esther is also right there at the end. Now it's also interesting. There are a lot of um, latter books in the Old Testament that are interwoven in this uh, timeline. But this is these are the history books. This is kind of the, the general timeline of the his, history of Israel. So uh, you'll see right there at the end Ezra and Nehemiah, Esther, some of the latest books written. But so is Malachi, and then um, I mean I, Isaiah um, and and Jeremiah were interwoven uh, during the the kingdom period and the minor prophets, especially at the end of the kingdom period. Uh, so you see there on the, the very left column, <clears throat> the major storylines, which we just kind of summarized. You see uh, the conquest is a major part of these historical books. This is, again, under Joshua's leadership. Israel goes into the land and takes the land. Uh, there's judges where Israel is establishing um, where, where God is sending judges uh, as leaders over these people because they're not bowing down to God as their God. So God sends judges um, to rule them, and the judges are awful, and Israel's awful. And then the people ask for the king. There's the kingdom period, the exile. Um, and let me explain the various dates here. The kingdom period, um, around 1050, is about when the, the monarchy began. It ended in 722 in the northern kingdom. 
and 586 in the southern kingdom. So that's uh, those little those dates right there. And then on exile, it says 597 slash 586. So this is referring to the uh, exile of the southern kingdom of Judah. Around 597, there were already people who were um, being exported, uh, deported, if exported, I guess is the right word, exiled into Babylon. Daniel um, was a part of the early exile, so uh, he might have been as early as 605. And then others in 597, others in um, 587, and then finally in 586, the temple was destroyed. Uh, And so the exile, um, a lot of people started counting it right there at 586. Uh, until 538 with uh, when they returned. And there were multiple rounds of returns as well, but um, that's not for today. And then there's the return in the post-exile, which is uh, 538 to about 433 BC. And then 433 BC, until the New Testament, silence. Um, no, no special revelation during those times. Okay, questions so far about just kind of, just, I'm just basically telling you what we're about to look at. Content-wise, yes, Dan. I'm just trying to organize in my brain um, the difference between the north and the south, mm-hmm. and did both exile to Babylon, and was, which one was Daniel part of? Yes, so, good question. The north was exiled into Assyria, because Assyria was the world power in 722. Uh, Sennacherib was the king of Assyria. He came in. He took over the northern kingdom of Israel. A lot of the Israelite people who were still in the nation of Israel, northern kingdom, a lot of them fled south. Some of them were sent into Assyria. Daniel was under Babylon uh, when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came in and took over um, the southern kingdom. So was he a member of Judah then and not Israel? Daniel, or, or did he flee from Israel? I, I can't remember if he had come from the north or if he was always of the tribe of the south. Royally, like, I thought he was royal adjacent. I... I don't have background on, on Daniel. You may you you probably know more about that sincerely than than I do. So potentially royal adjacent. Anybody else have background on Daniel? Okay. Isn't that long haired kid that works at Harkwood? Okay. Other questions? We get on kind of just the scope of the historical books. Sorry, I'm just yeah, sure. To Daniel one, um, it says specifically among those Daniel one verse six were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Thank you. That answers our question. Thank you. <laughs> What's that? Sword drill. Sword drill. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> okay, so here's a really. Um, well, let's just head into the notes here. Um, by the way, these come directly from uh, Matt Bradley's handout. Uh, points one through six come directly from, from his. Um, Ruth takes place during the Judges. These, everything else is chronological, except Ruth takes place during Judges, so it's just placed right after Judges in our, in our canon. And then Chronicles is roughly parallel to Kings, uh, but Chronicles was written much later. It was a theologi- theological recap of what God had done in the history of Israel. Uh, well, sorry, we'll get to that point in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Esther takes place prior to the Ezra-Nehemiah narrative. So this is during the Persian rule. So if, if, if I'm not mistaken, history was never my strong suit. Um, the Assyrian Empire was taken over, was uh, replaced by the Babylonian Empire, which was replaced by the Persian Empire. Uh, and, and so that's when um, Esther... Esther was in the, the king's palace at, you know, when the Persian Empire was at, at power. 
Um, I, I just read through Esther, and it's just a great story. So I look forward to, to getting into that in particular. Okay, uh, the book's numbered 1 and 2. So 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicle, Chronicles were originally one book, but they were divided into two scrolls because of their length. Uh, that's not the case with Ezra and Nehemiah, but with those, they were so long, they were divided into two. So uh, that's just something to, to remember. They're really not um, two separate entities. They just It's easier to break them out that way because they're so lengthy. Uh, Kings is a history of the kingdom period of both the northern and southern kingdoms. That's kind of helpful. What's, what's Kings about? It's about the kingdoms of the northern and southern kingdom. Um, the book of Samuel is largely about um, the life of David. And, and the establishment of uh, the promise of the line of David and, and the, the kingship there in Israel. Chronicles is concerned almost entirely with the southern kingdom. So here's where you're getting into the differences between kings and chronicles. Although they cover a lot of the same material, chronicles, written later, largely focuses on Judah and is more theologically oriented. Uh, and it's focusing on the Messiah as revealed in and through King David. And it tends to put David in a more favorable light uh, for this reason as, as the pre, the forerunner, if you will, to the Messiah, the, um, the type for which Christ is the antitype. Uh, and it highlights David's role, uh, there it is, as the type of Christ and the one through whom the Messiah would come. So, yeah, we'll look at the maps in a moment. Uh, the major and the minor prophets. So as you uh, go forward, I mean, when you think... When you think prophet of the Old Testament, you think Isaiah. All right? So Isaiah and the books around him we call uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah um, and Ezekiel and Daniel. Are, these are the major prophets. And then the minor prophets are the 12 at the end, finishing with Malachi, the Italian prophet. Um, and the poetry and the wisdom books, um, uh, they, they weren't written during Judges. They weren't written during the conquest. They came in kingdom period over down through the end, uh, kingdom period, exile, and the return. The kingdom was divided soon after Solomon's death in 931. The northern kingdom, Israel, was destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 and disappeared forever. The southern kingdom, Judah, was defeated and exiled by Babylon and returned as God promised in 538 as the result of Cyrus's decree. Uh, this yeah, we'll get to these things. Now, there's this uh, theory of a Deuteronomistic historian. Don't ask me to say that word again. Um, who allegedly composed Deuteronomy through kings. Because there's a lot of similarities. And Deuteronomy chapters 29 through 31 serve as an incredible um, foreshadowing almost of what's going to happen in, in those five books. I do not hold to the Deuteronomistic historian theory um, because it would require that Deuteronomy was written much later at the end of the, the kingdom. And it would mean that it was not written by Moses. Um, and I think what we can do is instead learn what is it about the Deuteronomy foundation in chapters 29, 30, and 31 that, that makes that looks so parallel to what actually happened in the life of Israel. Um, instead of saying that the same person wrote the end of or Deuteronomy all the way through Kings, I think it, it makes perfect sense that Deuteronomy served as the theological foundation for the nation of Israel during all this history. And maybe there is a sovereign God who can say, here's how it's going to go and then make it go that way. 
And so when you look at uh, the, the exile and the unfaithfulness and the return and those things promised um, in Deuteronomy 29, 30, and 31, and then you see it happen, there's no surprise. We have a great God who does amazing things. So um, there are plenty of differences. So I'm not at all trying to say, oh, they're so tight and I'm just going to pretend like, you know, we're just going to chop it into pieces. No, there, there are lots of differences in the way that these things are written. Um, this Deuteronomy is a theological book. Um, the, the other books are, are different in their genre. They're written differently. So, um, but I think the reason I point out this, this theory, um, first of all, is to say it's not true, but second is to say it, it, what it does is it shows us how foundational Deuteronomy was to the operation of the nation during this history. Um, and, and when Deuteronomy was lost, you saw it, the, the Israel, you saw the nation of Israel just nosedive into apostasy um, in the northern kingdom. Anybody know how many good kings were in the northern kingdom? Zero. The southern kingdom had maybe a couple. So you might be thinking of the southern kingdom. Um, and Josiah was one of them. And it was the book of Deuteronomy that inspired his reforms. And that's where people say, oh, it must have been written later because they, they don't believe that Deuteronomy as it lays out these, um, these commands for how you should purify the land. And then Josiah did it perfectly. They say, there's no way that could foreshadow what actually happened. There's no way the prophecy could come before it, the event actually happened. And these are people who don't believe in the supernatural prophecy of Scripture. And, and we do believe in that. So it makes sense that if, if Deuteronomy had said, this is, this is how it goes. And then, and then Josiah comes by the Spirit's power in submission to God's word to purify the nation. It looks like God's word. And that's what we see in the life of Josiah, which is just one example of how Deuteronomy served as the foundation for this whole period. Okay. Is Deuteronomy the book that is referred to as the book of the law, or is it the That's a good question. I, I'm sure you would find people on both sides of it. I know um, the book of the covenant often means Deuteronomy. Um, book of the law, I can't remember. I'm going to make a note of that one. That's a good question. Do you, do you, I mean, have you come across this in your BSF studies? Yeah, we studied this time period in BSF this year, and I feel as though when Josiah found the book of the law in the temple, he tore his clothes, sat cloth and ashes, and went to the forms. Mm -hmm. I feel as though the, the images is that he found the book of the law. What I'm wondering is if the book mm -hmm. of the law Right. Yeah, it's a great question. And there, there's a lot of similarities, of course. So it, you can see it going, either one is going to inspire that kind of reform. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's only a theory that says that it, it was just Deuteronomy or it was largely, it was primarily Deuteronomy. But there is a lot of specific tight connections between what Deuteronomy <laughs> says and what Josiah did. Um, so at least if he found all five, at least Deuteronomy was something that was really inspiring, what, inspiring the change that he brought into the land. Well, it seems to make more sense in my mind because the instruction on how to worship is really in Leviticus mm -hmm. that it mm -hmm. makes more sense mm -hmm. that it was mm -hmm. yeah. the Pentateuch, yeah. not just yeah. Deuteronomy. Yeah, absolutely. Because and, all the instructions are there mm -hmm. and, and the sacrificial system mm -hmm. and the priests and mm -hmm. all of that. 
No, that, that makes sense to me too. I've always assumed it was the Pentateuch until recently here and you know, the tight connection between Deuteronomy and Josiah, but they're not mutually exclusive, right? So he could have found all five and, and you know, the Lord led him to, to change according to various findings in, the, in, in all five books. Okay. Yes. So, um, is it possible that there's a little bit of the reverse of the Deuteronomist historian in the sense that, like, uh, could the writers of Kings be using Deuteronomy in the same way that we see the writers of the Gospels use the Old Testament, where, like, they're acutely aware of what their scriptures have said, and they're, it's not to say that the things didn't happen or that they forced history, but they highlighted. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. That makes way more sense to me. Um, and I think, um, again, they're not fabricating things. They're not trying to, to say, oh, this happened and just to fulfill Deuteronomy when it didn't happen. That's not what's happening. Um, God is actually saying, guiding the history of the nation, and, and as the authors write about it, um, they're doing it knowing Scripture. And again, that shows how foundational the Torah is. Uh, was to the life of Israel, and, and and maybe Deuteronomy had a special place in that, or maybe not, I don't know. But yes, I think you're right. Okay, um, here are some tips as we go through the historical books. Um, you see, I put my note here. Uh, here are some tips from Hill and Walton, um, although I believe the first one is overstated. Um, he says, think of these books as theological rather than historical. Okay, that statement to me makes it sound like these are not historical. Don't take them as historical. I think that's overstated. I think that's, that's not what I'm trying to get at. The point here is theology was a huge part, if not the dominant theme in ancient Near Eastern history, the way history was done. The uh, way it was written was always written by, it was always driven by what's God doing? What is God up to? What are, who, are, who are his people and how is, how is he blessing them? And when they disobey, what is, is, that is God's judgment against them. So the theological element is huge in, in the historical books of the Old Testament. That does not mean that the history is false. And so that's where I think point one is a little bit confusing. Um, and, and I actually think two and three do a better job here. So let's, let's look at two and three. And, and by the way, right here, in that note, it says note modern versus ancient historiography. That's where I was really hoping to, um, to get into that, that extra resource that I have left on my desk. So I'll try to bring that as, we, as an intro to next week. Uh, point two for how to read Old Testament history. Remember that the main focus of the literature is God and his covenant, not people or events. Because every history that's written has to leave details out and has to choose to include some details. So the things that are chosen to be included here are included to focus, are included to show God and his covenant. The details um, are less about how great David is. You know, looking at it from our perspective now, it's not so much about how great David is as it is about how great God is to promise the line through David, and to fulfill it in Jesus. And so it's important that we keep, um, keep our focus on God and his covenant as we look through these events. And remember that historical cause, point three, remember that historical cause and effect is seen largely in terms of the role of God rather than the actions of people. So this happened because God made it happen. This uh, famine came because God brought it in judgment. We were victorious because God blessed us in our obedience. 
Right, so those are, that's more the terms of what's going on in the history of Israel. This is huge for me. And I'll just share this really quickly. When I was a baby Christian a long time ago, I was so excited, and I lived through the entire Old Testament. I was excited to do it when I started. And then I plowed my way through, and then I stumbled my way through, and I never did it again. Mm. But I never understood that hmm. two and three. I hmm. never understood the overarching hmm. picture. It hmm. just was people and events to me. Hmm. I mean, I didn't know better, but I've avoided it ever since hmm. for that reason. Hmm. And now I'm excited to, to, to dig into it again. Hmm. Yeah. And it's going to take a whole lot longer than I Yes. Yes, it's it's so rich. And somebody calls themselves an Old Testament scholar. I say, that's way more brain than I'll ever have. I mean, to know that much about... I mean, there's so much going on in the Old Testament. Um, for further explanation, to kind of put some, some meat on the bones here, um, for further explanation, uh, these, these guys, Hill and Walton, they write, uh, Israel's God is revealed as one who has a plan for history and who intervenes to ensure that the plan is executed. Against other gods, so there is this, um, the word is polemical. There is this, this thing where God is proving against other gods. He's proving his um, truth and power against the false gods. That's, that's the, the polemical nature of it, proving they are wrong. Um, so God will intervene to ensure that his plan is executed against the other gods. And even as he punishes Israel, it's to show his perfection and to show his holiness and to show his plan even though it is not a fun story for an Israelite to tell of their unfaithfulness, just like it's not fun for Peter, as we saw this morning, to tell the story of his unfaithfulness, just like it's not fun for you and me to tell the stories of our unfaithfulness, until we see the faithfulness of God highlighted um, as really the backdrop of what is going on in all this. So even in punishing Israel, God has a plan, and he's intervening to ensure that the plan is executed. Now, I think this next uh, paragraph is a really helpful um, hermeneutical tip. Some readers are inclined to look for new insights and lessons in each account. But rather than are seeking out lessons from the life of Asa, or another example they gave was lessons from the life of Saul, and we could go on and on, lessons from the life of Jephthah or Samson or Deborah or whoever it is, the text, instead of this, the text continually points us to patterns, themes, and motifs that we ought to see as weaving the historical tapestry into a picture of the sovereign God of the covenant. So the narratives must be approached through their context, and God must be seen as the focus. This tapestry will be unveiled as each biblical book is studied in turn. <clears throat> I always like to pull out the prime example <coughs> excuse me, of David and Goliath. Have you heard that taught before? Mm -hmm. And when you heard it taught, what's the application? You can't be yeah, what'd you say? Be like, David. be like David. Slay your giants. Stand up with courage. You can do it. Actually, that was a prime example of how God provided what is weak in the world to shame the strong, just as Jesus came and humbled himself and conquered our enemy. Jesus is our David. We are not David. We are the nation of Israel that's, that's 
cowering in the background, too afraid to go face the enemy. Jesus is our David. And so when you see God as the author even of that story and God as the one who's at work even in that story, um, you see, wow, Jesus is incredible. Um, Our God has been at work for a long time uh, to show us the grandeur of this Christ in Scripture. Uh, Here's one uh, side note about um, how we understand the way events are written in these books, the content. And it's, uh, this is from um, Trimper Longman and um, Dillard. You see it at the bottom. Trimper Longman, Raymond Dillard. Oh, you, uh, Longman? You had TP3? Or, no, wait. TL3? Yeah. Sorry, TP3 was a, Tiglath Pileser III was an ancient ruler. Um, <laughs> he did not have a class from TP3. He had a class from TL3. That's great. <laughs> That's wonderful. What class was it? Oh, I love that. I think he's got a dog named Tiamat. Oh. Marduk, Tiamat. That's amazing. At least it's not his kids' names. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I have a different story. Oh, man. But here, here's what uh, he says. Biblical history follows a roughly chronological order. All right, so as we read through this, it's, it's generally in chronological order. But chronology is not the straitjacket. Occasionally, other often thematic concerns take precedence. We've actually seen this in Mark 2 um, because there, there are some, some stories in there, like when Jesus goes and, and his body is anointed for death, and it comes right before the passage, the, the chapter we're in right now. But actually, that probably happened a week earlier. And it's placed there with the theological constructs around it. And it's, it's not wrong to place it there. It's highlighting the theology of what God is doing and who God is. And, and we should expect that as well with some, uh, some details here as we get into the historical books. So we'll be on the lookout for God at work. Flip over to the back and uh, we'll take a look at the maps as you're flipping over questions so far. Yes. Comment, actually. Um, I think... It's important, and I didn't know this until later in life, to learn how to read scripture as the authors then meant it to be read, like with a bit of their worldview. So, like the Hebrew writers had a different view of chronology than we do. And in this modern age, we're like, it has to be very exact and super chronological, and you have to have every detail exactly, and that's just not how they viewed things. But sometimes people freak out and they're like, oh, that means the Bible isn't true. And that's, a, I don't know, it's a faulty way of viewing it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they weren't writing it to be, you know, the exact number or whatever. It was serving a different purpose. Just, yeah. Yeah, I think the, the way I say it is if we're expecting molecular precision when we come to some of these stories, um, we're actually... That's a bad way to read the text because that's a very modern way to think about history itself in, in terms of molecules and atoms and what, you know, facts alone. In fact, there's no such thing as, as facts alone history. It has to be told by somebody. It has to be told for a reason. And it, some things have to be left out. Some things are told because um, they're chosen to be told. So there's no such thing as pure, molecular, unadulterated history. 
It just doesn't exist. So it, you're right. It's important that as we, as we go through this, um, we know we're reading true things. And we know we're reading things with a theological purpose. So uh, it's helpful for us to think of it the way they did and to, and to look for as they were trying to explain it, rather than to ask questions of the text that we ourselves might be thinking of today that it's not even seeking to answer. So that's, um, yeah, that's helpful. <clears throat> that's part of genre study is really helpful. That's why we're doing this today is because it's helpful to know what kind of literature are we getting ourselves into. So um, when, as we're looking at the, um, the maps on the back here, first map, pop quiz, uh, what book of the historical books is going to cover the content here of Israel's division of Canaan among the tribes? Yes. Joshua. That's it. Good. Right. So this is Joshua's about them coming in, taking the land. There's Joshua as they come in. Um, and then there is the United Kingdom's boundaries. Um, which, which book or books will talk about this part of Israel's history? Samuel, for sure. The, the establishment. Um, and I'm trying to remember. I, I don't think Kings has anything to do with it. I think Kings starts a little bit later. I'm just double-checking. Now, the very beginning of 1 Kings has a little bit to do with this, um, with Solomon building the temple and, and all that, because um, 1 Kings starts right after David died, I believe. Oh, no, it starts with David's death. Yeah. Um, so, yes, this is uh, Samuel into the very beginning of Kings, and then this last one here where the divided kingdom, you have Israel in the north and the green, you have Judah in the south and the gray. What's the books here? Yep. First, second Kings, first, second Chronicles. I'm a visual guy, so I hope these are helpful for you as they are for me to kind of get a, a sense of what's going on. Um, I have nothing else for us right now. To, uh, next time we're going to get into the book of Joshua.